My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. And you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. How about that, Brent Nelson? Hey. He is, he's a living embodiment of the discipleship pathway. Brent, it didn't even matter what you said up here. You were embodying, taking steps of faith, steps down that road. Why? Because we love Jesus and we want to know more of Jesus. And a lot of times that means stepping into our fears. It's the only reason I'm up here because I feel that every week, Brent. I feel like that every week. Uh, if I haven't had a chance to meet you, I'm Shane, serve as the administrative pastor here, one of the teaching pastors, and uh, I guess I need to say Merry Christmas. <laughs> but even as I say that, I, I, just, I just need to address something right up front. Uh, there are at least two kinds of people in the room. Uh, one type of people, Christmas doesn't start till after Thanksgiving. I mean, is anybody else, I mean, I'm, I'm, this, is, this is me, whatever, you know, anybody else get annoyed, you know, when the Christmas displays start showing up in stores around what, August, you know, and the Christmas music starts playing in October, and I'm like, no, no, there's still an important holiday coming, you know, right? Of course, there are, at least from what I heard when we announced, when, when Aaron talked about we're going to sing a Christmas carol, there's a big cheer, so there's at least another group of people in the room who are like, Christmas, man, July, you're ready to go, Christmas music's already playing, right? You start, you're done with your Christmas shopping, you can't wait for it, yeah, okay. I just want to acknowledge that they're, they're all in the room together here, so uh, we're just going to try to shoot that gap here today, you know, and just so you know, you know, there's no Christmas decorations anywhere else in the building. That starts this week, next Sunday, that'll all be here, you know, and all that, but we have this story to engage once again, the story of the nativity, and there are seven characters or groups of characters in the story. And if you count backwards from Christmas Eve, you arrive on this Sunday. That is why we're starting today. Because we want to take a look at each one of these characters this year. And may we never grow tired of digging into this story. One of the two central stories of our faith. May we never grow tired of digging in and learning from it. What's going on? Seeing how those original people interacted with that story and what we might learn from that. And so that's what we're going to do for the Sundays here leading up to Christmas this year. So before we dive into our character for today, I'm going to ask a question for you to consider. Does your life really matter. You ever wonder that? 
I mean, I, I, I don't, I've never met some, anybody who, who takes, that, takes a moment, even a moment to consider that question, who doesn't admit at least at some point wondering, am I significant? Is my life have any meaning at all? Now, I, I believe that this question resides just below our consciousness for all of us. It exists as a persistent anxiety. Now, I understand that there are, on an anxiety scale, there are some that are high anxiety. You know, that's, that's, I'm over here, right? There's some that are low anxiety. But for all of us, simply being alive, there is this persistent anxiety. And, and it's like that itch that you just, you know, you try to scratch and it just won't go away. I want to bring that up because during the holidays, holidays have a way of amplifying that. It also has a way of just increasing our yearning for a meaningful, significant life. Of course, the culture around us persistently answers this question of how do we get meaning, and it answers it in some, some version of this. Get the attention of others as much as you can, and then hold that attention. We live in a social media-saturated, celebrity-oriented culture where the so-called heroes are the ones with the most followers, the most likes, the most retweets. The message is clear. If you want to be somebody, you need to jockey for attention, and then you need to construct, you need to, you need to, you need to identify, construct, and fiercely maintain an image of a perfect life. And I'll tell you, these constant messages and images that we're barraged with, they they communicate the message that's pretty clear. If you aren't in the spotlight, you don't matter. Now, sadly, this celebrity-oriented culture, this this culture that we're in, it's seeped into our, our church circles. Where, you know, if you, the, the bigger the stage you're on, the, you know, even if you're Brett Nelson, right? Hey, now I matter because I was on the stage. Or the bigger the church you lead or the, mo- the most followers that you have or the most views you have on YouTube. That's what makes you matter. Now, if you haven't heard of or listened to an important podcast called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill Church, I recommend you take a look at it. Episode 2 in particular follows a thread through recent church history in America, and particularly about a cult of celebrity that has kind of come around various certain types of persons and personalities, and how, quite frankly, we're all at least a little complicit in it. Well, the person we're going to look at today in the Nativity story, Joseph, the father of Jesus, stands in sharp contrast to these current cultural norms. When it comes to the Christmas story, our attention tends to first be on Jesus, rightly so, and then on Mary, that, that we'll, we'll, we'll talk about Mary next week, and Joseph's, Joseph's kind of in the background. Joseph's easily overlooked. Joseph, I don't know if you notice this, but he, he never has any words to say. He's never a part of the dialogue in the story. Though quiet and deferential, Joseph played an integral role in the story of our salvation. So I want to draw attention to him this morning because in Joseph's story, we can learn that every person matters, even when you're not in the spotlight. So let's spend some time looking at the man who shaped the man that Jesus would become. And I want to start with a couple of quick references to the nativity story as captured by Luke. And then I want to spend the majority of our time in the story captured by Matthew. So in Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, we read this. 
At that time, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for this census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And so Luke begins his account with Joseph before shifting his attention to Mary. In Luke chapter 1, there's a lot of attention on Mary. And then we start here at the story of the birth of Jesus. It starts with Joseph. And then Luke returns his attention, again, mostly to Mary. Joseph was mentioned first because he was the head of his household. And importantly, a descendant of King David. This established Joseph's leadership role. Something normal and expected in the culture at that time. However... How Joseph led was not necessarily normal and expected. Joseph did not use his power, his authority in that situation for his own benefit. He did not try to impose his desires onto the others. He did not demand or compete for attention. But let's not mistake his own, his quiet leadership for passivity or disinterest or uninvolvement. Luke's chapter 2 story has this clear an emphasis on Joseph and Mary together following all of the Jewish laws and customs. Everything that applied, they followed it to the letter all those early days of Jesus' life. And it culminates in verse 39 and 40. It says, And when they, meaning Joseph and Mary, performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom. And the favor of God was upon him. You see, though, though Joseph wasn't individually delineated in this story, these obedient actions that we read about simply would not have happened without his quiet spiritual leadership. So I just wanted to highlight those couple of things in Luke's account, and then let's, I want to switch over to Matthew's account. Whereas Luke's narrative emphasizes Mary, Matthew's more emphasizes Joseph. At the beginning of Matthew's narrative, we see an interesting parallel to Luke's narrative. See, in Luke's narrative, the emphasis is on Mary, but Joseph was mentioned first. In Matthew's narrative, the emphasis is more on Joseph, but Mary is mentioned first. But not in a positive light. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So again, Mary is mentioned first. In a way, though, that sets the stage for highlighting Joseph's integrity. Now, for many of us, we've read this story so often that it's easy to miss some of, the, some of what's going on. In particular, it's easy to maybe miss the scandal involved here. Mary is pregnant before she's married. Now, I understand we live in a culture where that's actually become normal. More than half the births in our country are to women who are not married. In this day, in this time, that would have been a huge scandal. It would have been utterly shocking. And we all know that when something like that happens, how quickly gossip travels, right? You know how that goes. Hey, did you hear about Mary? Oh, Can you believe it? Right? That's how it's filtering through the community. Now can you imagine Joseph trying to explain this to his friends and family? 
so everybody, I just have some news I need to share. Um, uh, um, Mary, she's pregnant. And everybody, right? The collective gasp in the room. <gasps> All the oxygen gets sucked out, right? Mary, Mary, pregnant? You guys aren't even married. Joseph, what kind of man are you? And you can hear him backpedaling maybe, you know. Wait, 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 wait. No, 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 no. You got to understand, she's still a virgin. God got her pregnant. <laughs> right. Right. Good one, Joseph. Let's <laughs> try that one sometime. Mary was destined to be shunned, to be cast aside, to live a life of shame and poverty, except for Joseph. As is true in Luke's account, Joseph has no words in the story. Yet he's described as a just man, someone who sought to do the right thing no matter the cost. He planned to divorce Mary quietly so that she wouldn't have to face the scandal in public. She could be out of the spotlight until God spoke in the story through an angel. Matthew, picking up in in verse 20, he says, But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Joseph heard from God, and he quietly obeyed, no matter the cost, no matter the fear he felt. This required courage. This required tenacity, resilience, strength of character, all those words. Joseph's quiet obedience under difficult circumstances is what propels the story forward. And we see this two more times in the story. The next one comes in chapter 2. In, in chapter two, At the beginning of chapter 2, we're introduced to the three wise men and to this evil King Herod, who, who's all mad and all been out of shape because he's heard the news that this, another king is born nearby, and that's no, they can't have that. Okay, so he's looking to, for this, for Jesus, so that he can kill him, right? We know that part of the story. So in chapter 2, verse 13, we see this. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Rise, take the child and his mother, flee to Egypt, remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. So this time Joseph is told to drop everything, move to Egypt, Live as a refugee in a foreign land for an undetermined period of time. Now, again, it's so easy to read right past this, but let's sit in it for a little bit. Feel what it takes. Feel what, what it would feel, feel like to be in that situation. The hardship that that implies. The confusion. The questions you'd have to answer to friends and family. Because they didn't hear the voice of God. Now, some of you sitting here today, some of you tuning in online, you don't have to imagine this. You're living this. 
United States is a foreign land to you. You left your land of your origin, a lot of times through pain and hardship. You left family and friends. You came here. This is a foreign land. You, you know what it feels like. You know how hard it is to find a place to live. You know how hard it is to find not just meaningful work, but any work. You know, refugees oftentimes have to live at a, or, or work at a job less than their education level, less than their work experience. You know how hard it is. You know how hard it is simply to navigate just those, those the, the myriad small different ways that cultures operate differently. It's overwhelming. That's what Joseph knew he was stepping into. And despite all those challenges, Joseph listened to the voice of God and he obeyed. Quietly. And once again, the story is propelled forward. And we see this one more time in verse 19. Joseph hears from God and quietly obeyed, no matter how difficult. Verse 19, it says, But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. He rose, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. He went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. So this time, he heard God letting him know it was okay to move back to his own country, but not to the centers of power and influence. No, I need you to go to a backwoods kind of place. So in our today and age, this would be like, no, 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 don't live live in Portland, on Hillsborough, none of that. No, not Salem, no, no. He need to go live in Hermiston. John Day, you know, something like that, right? Far from the centers of power. Now, once again, Joseph's quiet, faithful obedience propels the story forward. And I want to highlight one more thing. It's in this verse. It was in the previous two verses. But there's one more thing I want to highlight. Did you catch the repetition also of the words, as the scriptures said? As the scriptures said. We can see that and we can, we can see how Joseph's quiet obedience fulfilled God's sovereign plan that was communicated hundreds of years prior through his prophets. And we can know that Joseph's story models how God accomplishes his plans through the faithful, for the actions of faithful people who listen for his voice and obey. And that's the extent of what we know about Joseph. Everything else is lost to the scrap heap of history. And so with the time I have remaining today, I just want to highlight some things we can learn from Joseph's story. Every time we dig into this story, let's, let's pull away something that we can apply from what happened then to what's going on now. And I just want to highlight three things that I see in this story. First, when God speaks, will you listen and obey? Now, in this story, God spoke through angels. In other places in the Bible, he spoke through visions, through people, through circumstances. Sometimes he spoke directly into someone's mind, into their heart. Sometimes he even spoke through animals. Okay? Now, it's easy to, like, dig into the scriptures and try to figure out how God speaks and then to speculate on whether or not God speaks in that way in our time and age. And, you know, that, that, that's okay. But I think it can be an unnecessary distraction. I think the key point is, is that God speaks. We can know that. God speaks today. And the more important question is, will we listen? Will we put ourselves in a posture of listening? And then even more importantly, will we obey what we hear? 
See, when it comes to hearing and obeying the voice of God, Joseph's story provides some important lessons for us. Actually, I think it provides some good news and some bad news. The good news is, is that the more you obey what you hear from God, the more likely you'll hear from God. Did you catch that? The more you hear and the more you obey what you hear, the more likely you are to hear. It's what we might call a conversational intimacy with God. You see it all through the scriptures. You see it in Joseph. Is that when somebody hears and obeys, they're more likely to hear. That's the good news. I hope that's exciting for you like it is for me. Now for the bad news. Which really isn't as much bad news as it is uncomfortable, maybe unwelcome news. When God speaks, he continually invites you into difficult things. He continually calls us into hard things. Now, if you're like me, you'd prefer to God to call you into comfort and ease. Do I have an amen in the congregation? Yeah, right? Yeah, who doesn't? And yet the path of comfort and ease doesn't lead to the heart of God. The path of comfort and ease does not lead to the heart of God. I don't like that answer, but the scriptures are pretty clear. Now, just to clarify, I'm making a distinction between comfort and ease and rest. The Bible is also clear. God continually calls us to rest. The places of rest, we need rest. We're invited to rest. Sabbath is of, of importance, huge importance in the scriptures. See, but rather than seeking true rest, we're often seeking the easy way. We're seeking the, the way with the, the pain-free way, the trouble-free way. And those paths take us away from God. Sadly, we see many examples of this in the Bible as well, like, in, like with King David in 2 Samuel chapter 11, where it starts with this ominous phrase, at a time when kings went off to war. And David decided he's going to leave all that war stuff to his generals, and he's going to hang out on the veranda. And he happened to see a beautiful woman. And you know the rest of the story. It's a sad story. It's a sin-saturated story. It's a painful story. And it's a story that has been repeated over and over and over all the way down through history. So when God speaks, will you listen and obey? Even though his leading will take you into difficult circumstances, Joseph's story reminds us it can also provide the opportunity for a conversational intimacy with your creator. And the opportunity to participate in his sovereign plan that he's working out all through history. And that's pretty exciting. So that's the first thing I think we can learn from Joseph's story. The second thing, there's value in being silent. Right? Not that long ago, I wouldn't have had to make this point. Because it was valued in our culture. Silence was was a value in our culture. Now we're told that silence is violence. And if you're not yelling and screaming for this important cause or that important cause, then you're actually working for evil. Wow. And so I just, yes, it's really important to speak up for issues of justice, you know, to speak into what's going on in culture. Absolutely. There's also great value, maybe even more value in being silent. James chapter 1 provides this important admonition. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. 
If you claim to be religious but don't control your tongue, you're fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. So Joseph provides us an example of how steady, quiet faithfulness can play a valuable role in God's story. Which leads me to my third takeaway from Joseph's story. And that is this. In the kingdom of God, celebrity is not a measure of significance. Celebrity is not a measure of significance. Joseph was a nobody, a mere carpenter, living in a small, out-of-the-way town, far from the center of power and influence. And yet he played a vital role in the salvation of the entire world. And Joseph isn't alone in this either. You don't have to read in the Bible very long to, to know that celebrity is of little importance in God's economy. God delights in doing his best work through the outcast, the lowly, the unexpected person. In Jesus' words, the last shall be first, and the first shall be last. And if you want to become great, become a servant. Which is why I wanted to close today by having you hear from somebody you probably haven't met and yet plays a valuable role in the story of Sunrise Church. Let's watch this together. Uh, hello, my name is Joshua Bybee. And uh, uh, as I started uh, as a child, uh, brought up in a Christian home with uh, very good parents and everything, I was brought up with uh, just getting to know Christ, but not necessarily getting to know him uh, in a relationship, but just getting to know him more of who he was as a child, I think just how many people do uh, when they are brought up in a Christian home. And uh, so eventually uh, going off to college and everything kind of stepped away from that a little bit. Then after college, getting married and uh, becoming a little bit more focused and stuff in life, ended up meeting someone at my job and so at the job that I was at ended up continuing to go to a church with him after about two years of marriage my wife ended up divorcing me and I don't know everything of all of it but anyways she ended up divorcing me and I was pretty hurt by that but with the divorce uh, I ended up having lost my job just a few years later after that too I ended up uh, moving in with my older brother and he took advantage of me um, was asking me to pay his rent and he'd pay me back but never did uh, with my epilepsy that I have he wanted me to uh, get a medical marijuana card so he could sell marijuana and I just ended up falling into that and so I went ahead and moved out and moved back into my parents' house. And once I had moved back into my parents' house, I still didn't have a job or anything. And uh, with moving in with my parents, uh, they encouraged me to go ahead and try to get on uh, Social Security disability once uh, I got on the disability and was getting paid for about a year I didn't really do anything with my life I just stayed home and uh, I ended up getting really bored uh, my parents had been encouraging me the whole time to just 
take the time that I had and to use it for volunteer work. And so I ended up meeting uh, an individual. We got to know each other and stuff, and he ended up doing some volunteer work and told me about it here at Sunrise. And so I think the Lord is working in that. And so that encouraged me to go ahead and step in and do some just some volunteer work. And I ended up finding out that I really liked doing that so much more than just sitting at home and getting bored. It was first with the food pantry here at Sunrise. And yeah, ended up meeting people and getting much more involved instead of just being just by myself, getting to be around people much more. And so that was, I think, a big part of what made it so much better. As the years went on, the food pantry ended up closing here. But with that, uh, I ended up about a month after or so uh, finding a place to continue doing volunteer work here, uh, doing janitorial work. So it, it was definitely hard with my epilepsy, but uh, that's now such a huge factor in my life because it's given me this opportunity that I have now to just be able to give to the Lord, give to people in this community, give to this church, whatever it is. It's given me a purpose in my life. I've found I have all this time now, and I can just, with that, give that right back to the Lord. I also ended up realizing that even with my divorce, if that did not happen, I would not be where I am today. And so even though it was a very difficult time in my life, it's actually something I am very thankful for now because the Lord has used that for His purpose. I have to have that faith and trust Him, have that hope that there will be good that comes out of this. I do not necessarily know every single thing that's happening that He's doing with all of it. And, you know, sometimes I don't understand what, the good parts of it are going to be and you know how difficult it'll be and everything but whatever he does with it I know that he has a plan and it's going to be good for me and good for other people too yeah. Yeah, if, you, if you enjoy a clean building you can thank Josh He's oftentimes in the back of the room running our slides as well. He's often in the parking lot on Sunday mornings as well, helping greet people coming in. I mean, there's so many different ways that he serves quietly behind the scenes. And as a result, he, he lives a significant, meaningful life. And so I just wanted to, to close with that, that Joseph's story and Joseph's, and Josh's story can remind us that through faithful, quiet obedience, we can live a meaningful, significant life in the kingdom of, in the kingdom of God. Would you pray with me? God, thank you, thank you that you see us, you know us, that you infuse our lives with meaning simply because you made us, you are our creator. You crafted us each uniquely for your purposes and that as we seek you in them and as we live out who you've made us to be, you're glorified and we find meaning and significance. And so I pray for all these, my friends in the room, for those that are watching online, that we would know that, we'd know that deep in our core, in that place of anxiety, that place of question, that place of doubt, that we may gain confidence that you see us there, that you love us there. I thank you for Jesus. We're 
diving into his birth story. Of course, we know that's not the end of the story. That's just the beginning. He went on to live the perfect life that we long to live but can't. He died the death that we deserve, and yet he took it for us. He rose from the dead, conquering sin and death, that we might have life in his name by putting our trust, not in what we can do, but what he already did for us. We thank you for him. We're going to worship him some more. So fill our hearts, Spirit of God, that we might see you and we might worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.